0: Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources
1: by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Good morning,
0: Melissa. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, episode 81.
1: Good morning, Lisa. I am so excited about this episode because it is all about books, which you and I both love. I absolutely
0: love books, and you know, as a former homeschooler, I have so many children's books, many, 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 because I love them, and I'm just now starting to part with some of them that are for younger kids, but yes, we we love our books, for sure. What are you reading these
1: days, Melissa? So I just worked my way through a memoir from an upcoming interview that we're going to be having here on the podcast. And that's kind of actually what I'm doing a lot right now is finding time to kind of review and read through books that people send us. People send us books and ask us to share them with you guys. And so we like to read them first to find out what they're all about. So I'm kind of working through a bunch of those things right now. And then I have on my list that I really want to get back to The Body Keeps the Score. I read I've read parts of it. I've kind of skimmed through it, but it feels like a good time to brush up on some of those, how our body is dealing with all of this trauma right now.
0: I agree. That is a very important book. Well, currently I am reading a wonderful book called beyond behaviors using brain science and compassion to understand and solve children's behavioral challenges by Mona Delahook. And Melissa, you originally told me about this book and I am enjoying it a ton. And then on my nightstand, I'm reading a memoir by, I think, yeah, I think you'd call it a memoir, by Madeline Langle, who is one of my all-time favorite authors. I think in my 30s, I read nearly everything she had written. She's written children's books, books for adults, but I'm reading one of her memoirs called A Circle of Quiet. I, I need that. I need more quiet in my life. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So today's guest, books are one of her specialties, and we found her because she has an Instagram account called Adoption.Books, where she reviews adoption and foster
1: care-themed books. So we thought this would be a timely episode because your kids are around a lot more, and you may be wondering, what kind of books should I be reading them? And you may have more time to read. You may not have more time to read, but... (laughs) You're not driving a lot, and you may be having a quiet hour, which if you have been catching our Quick Connection Lives we talked about last week. So that would give you a time to kind of catch up. Plus, I feel like because we can't leave our houses, books are a really good way to escape. They
0: are. And we were right before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that libraries are closed. But for those of you who have a Kindle or the Kindle app, that's great. Or if you have the library app, you can download books from your library for free. So we're definitely sticking to reading as much as possible. So Linnea is a really wonderful and interesting person. When I asked her what's the one thing she most loves to talk to people about, she said that adoption is complex and that broad, deep listening is invaluable for understanding its complexity. Linnea and her husband, Sean, um, have the privilege of parenting two beautiful girls who join their family through transracial international adoption, and she says that adoption makes their lives a whole lot more beautiful and brings unique challenges to the table. She is a passionate learner and teacher of all things adoption, specifically uplifting
1: the perspective of adult adoptees and birth parents. So we will mention before we jump into this interview... We were having a little bit of technical difficulties, and so we tried to make it as clean a recording as possible, but if you hear some kind of weird glitches, just know that we did the best that we could. So let's jump into your conversation with Linnea.
0: Hello, Linnea. Thank you for being on the Adoption Connection podcast. Welcome.
2: Hi. Thanks, Lisa.
0: Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about who you are, where you live, who's in your family, those kinds of things.
2: So I'm Linnea. I am a Canadian. I live in Alberta. I am married to my husband for uh, it'll be 13 years this fall. And we have two girls. They are seven and six. They both joined our family through international transracial adoption. And we're currently in the process of adopting again. So our oldest daughter, like we were really wanting to adopt, we didn't want to have biological children. And so we um, just really felt drawn to international adoption. And as kind of doors that we wanted to go through beyond closing and in terms of what our options were, what countries were open. We ended up applying to adopt with an agency in Florida. And so our oldest daughter was born in 2012 in Florida. Her mom chose us just like someone would if they were applying for a domestic adoption for you guys in the state. So she it was our oldest child. So where we live, the law is that there has to be one year between um, either a birth of a child in your family or another adoption. So when she turned one, we were ready day one to get the process going to grow our family again. And we looked at our, our oldest daughter is um, Latina. And so we looked at countries in Latin America, go to want to the child that would share some similar heritage to her and make, you know, that connection. So we looked at those countries that we thought might be an option. And, and again, we're just closing and closing, and closing, and started reaching out to any friend what are what are my options and someone sent me an email saying this agency in Taiwan was looking for Canadian families at that time they couldn't place into the U.S. so they were looking for Canadians and we fell in love with everything this agency stood for and we applied to Taiwan and that process took a lot longer than we wanted but two and a half years later we brought home our second daughter and she's six now that's where who's living in my house now but um, we are also are in the process of adopting again um, and this time it will be a little boy from Taiwan.
0: Did you always know that adoption was going to be part of your life?
2: You know what I think i I kind of always did, but it wasn't it was, you know I didn't have that sense. I had a chat about it before we got married, and then when we first got married, we were kind of like eh, we're not we're not needing to have kids right now. I was young I was twenty he was twenty five then as we started to have nieces and nephews, we saw how special that was, how unique they were, and we didn't want to miss out on that connection, but we still had zero desire for biological children in two thousand. 10 we were leading the young adults group at our church and we went through Francis Chan's book Crazy Love and the Holy Spirit used that book to change our lives in so many ways God was challenging us about how we're spending our money how we're spending our time everything and through that process we also felt like if we're serious about adoption then we need to be serious about it and so we're not just going to talk about it anymore we're actually going to dive in and see where this goes. And we really felt so led by the Lord in, in all the decisions and just the way, like I said, that doors would close and doors would open. And yeah, so I wouldn't say forever, but it was never a question. We've always been on the same page and so happy with that being our, our fun for our family.
0: That's great. I love hearing how different families come to adoption. It's so fascinating, you know, because everybody has a different story. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I love that. One of the things I think you're really passionate about is adoption education. You've had your own sort of journey with that. Can you share sort of where you started and where you are now in terms of your understanding of adoption?
2: Yeah, I'm really, really passionate about adoption education. I used to call myself an adoption advocate, but I've, I've switched in the last few years to saying I'm an advocate for adoption education because I think that. So there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. We can never and ever stop learning until I've heard every single perspective of every person in the triad. I'll never be done learning. So I, when we started the adoption process, we were really passionate about learning kind of how to parent adoptees, knowing that that was going to be a little bit different than parenting if you're giving birth to biological children. And um, so we read lots of the common books, you know, stuff by Deborah Gray. We did stuff by Karen Purvis and watched a lot of, of her videos. So when we started the process to adopt again, I had a friend, my closest friend here in town that's also a transracial adoptive parent. She invited me to this adoption group that focused on, it had members from all parts of the adoption triad, but it focused on the adoptee perspective and, and people of color sharing their experiences. So all of a sudden that Facebook group and learning from those perspectives blew my worldview wide open. This really naive, sheltered, small town Canadian girl, all of a sudden was, I was learning things that I didn't know existed. I was learning about um, racism in ways I, I had no idea that people were truly experiencing life like this daily, daily experiencing microaggressions and racism. And it took, it was hard. I wanted to quit so many times learning this because it just was so sad. And at the same time, I just knew I had to keep pushing through because my kids were worth learning what their life experiences might be like after I kind of pushed through and and felt like I kind of grasped what this group as a collective was talking about I just felt this immense sense of and and passion for learning more and and not and not only learn perhaps how to adopt it and also my friends who I wanted to understand race better my white friends who I wanted to understand race better and also so that my children would grow up in a community that was talking about race was having these conversations and understood their loss
0: is there anything in particular that really, really deeply impacted you? Like any one particular thing? I know there's so much. I have I am in that Facebook group. I haven't been deep into it the way you have. But is there anything you could share with us that just was part of that sort of blowing your worldview apart?
2: I think the two things that were the most shocking and impactful for me were number one, learning that transracial adoptees still experienced so much loss and longing for the family and cultures that they had lost. And number two, I think learning from the perspective of a first mom who really felt like she hadn't made that choice of her own will, or if she'd had more resources, she wouldn't have made that choice. And I think for me, those two things, just made me really question if adoption was ever the best option or if we ever should be adopting internationally. I think it was good for me to go through that experience of just being so horrified almost that people were living with such regret or loss and just this painful sense of never being complete now because they're missing other parts of their family. And at the same time, then coming through that and saying, this is not everyone's experience. Because we don't have perfect solutions doesn't mean that what we're doing now can't be done
0: well. Did you at any point think we're never going to adopt again when you were learning all of this?
2: We were already in process with our second when we started this. Yeah. And so I, I had a little bit of guilt that, you know, what, what am I doing? And, and I don't know if I, because it was already in the works, I don't know if I thought we have to call this off. Um, and I think knowing my daughter's unique stories and their mom's unique experiences, I think, has helped a lot. I don't know if content is the right word, but there is a sense of peace that in their circumstances, and we have open adoptions with both of their moms, which is very unique for international adoption. But I think knowing their moms and knowing unique situations, we've had peace with that. And so I don't know if we've ever if we've ever thought no we should never do this again but it just really an urgent sense that we have to do this well.
0: You know, as a first mom myself, first of all, I never imagined that I would become an adoptive mom because I had so much um, bitterness toward adoption because mine was not a free choice in it at all. You know, it was very much a, a situation like you're talking about where there was no other choice for me, and. Um, When we felt that we were being led to adopt, I just remember saying, I will absolutely only adopt if this child is completely orphaned, you know, and that was sort of like the only way I could even in my heart consider it. And of course, things happen the way, you know, we don't always know how things are going to happen. And my kids' stories are their stories, and it's not all been exactly the way I thought it would be, but... I do have peace with it, but I also live in the tension of yeah. the complexity, right? That there's so much loss and there's joy on our side and it, it's very complicated. Yeah,
2: that that does sound very complicated. You know their mom's experience per- firsthand, whereas I'm learning it from, okay, if I hear enough people, I start to get the general perception of what this is like. Wow, mm-hmm. that is so mm-hmm. powerful, Lisa, to have that connection to their first months. Really,
0: yeah. Well, and most of mine do not have a living parent, but um, one does. And but we did, despite all obstacles, we did travel to Ethiopia and and search and find family of each of our kids. And wow. so it's as open as it can be. You know, we gave them all of our contact information, and you know, tried to make it as open as we could, but. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about how was your world changed when you really began to understand racism.
2: Wow, um, <laughs> I was number one horrified that people would treat each other that way because I think when when you wouldn't treat someone that way, it's hard to understand why someone else would. But that being said, I also started to recognize bias in my own life and starting to you know really acknowledge. When I would have little thoughts in the back of my head of feeling unsafe around certain people, I had, just, oh my goodness, that is that implicit bias in the back of my brain. It's been subconsciously taught to me all my life. Even though I grew up in very, very white community, very white community, and my parents were always very respectful of minorities around us, which was pri- primarily Indigenous peoples of Canada would be uh, definitely the primary minority in the, where I grew up. But I think. Just I guess understanding that my children would have those experiences, I think that was very hard for me and and as of color, and that was amazing and i I think white people are afraid of it because we have been taught to be colorblind, and we've been taught that if we talk about those things, that's racist. But it was so freeing and it was just so beautiful and i and I found these really cool connections with people because I was willing to go to a place where they felt like their friends didn't go with them or that they, their friends hadn't been safe with them before. And so I think we very, very seriously have considered moving to a larger center. We live in a, for a large community, very diverse community. And at the same time, it is still small prairie town. I think it really has just made me think about the world and, and it's made me pursue diverse diversity in, in every possible way I read. I purposely look for books that are written by people of color, or about people of color, and when I'm looking at life, I I had a friend recently articulate to me how hurtful it is that it took adopting for me to do that. And at the same time, I'm so incredibly thankful. Well, I'm thankful, A, that she would say that to me, and be honest with me about that. And also, I'm so incredibly thankful that international adoption completely broadened my worldview in the most beautiful way.
0: That's been such a fascinating experience for me, too. Now, we, we live in North Idaho, which is known for being pretty white, but we happen to live in a university town oh, right cool. on the border between, yeah, right between um, on the border of Idaho and Washington and right across the border is another university. So in terms of Idaho, we probably live in one of the most racially diverse areas, and yet it is not like living In a larger city where there's a lot of diversity, you know, I feel like when my kids were younger, I didn't have to think about it as much. And now that they're older, it's just so much more in front of me and they're experiencing things and. I'm particularly fortunate that for my boys, my, um, oldest daughter just got married last summer and she married an African American man. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. What I mean, really, yeah. it's such a gift to have him wow. in our lives because he can teach my boys things that we cannot teach them and he can relate to them over important things that we don't know because we aren't living that experience. So we're extremely thankful for for him in our lives. And I feel like I can ask him questions because I love him and he loves me and he knows my heart. And so I can be dumb. And he, I mean, he, I'm not afraid of his response, you know, because I know he's open to teaching me.
2: That's so amazing for your family. And you're right. He is, he is a gift. It's not his job to educate you. And at the same time, how amazing that he can.
0: Right. And that he's willing to, Yeah, you know, yeah. that he, he understands our need to learn, and he's willing to do that for us. So anyhow, and most of all, he's willing to support the boys, which I am very, very thankful for. Yeah, what a gift, right? Yeah. So as you learned about adoption and racism and all these other things, you must have had a passion to teach other people because you then started an Instagram account that is really very influential and I think gaining influence. Can you tell us... What led you to start that, and sort of the story of that?
2: So we found that books in our family—we we we a love reading—but we found that books were great ways to facilitate conversation with our children. You know, we would be able to read a book that had an adoption theme, and then have conversations about how our kids felt about that, or maybe just say, "Oh, do you ever wonder if maybe your birth mom does a B C based on the book?" And so I was looking for more books as my children got older, and I would look through, you know, this you know, say a, an adoptive mom would have a blog about books that she liked, or, you know, you just would search Amazon, but you don't know, you know, you read the reviews, and there's one review that loves it, one review that hates it, and you, could, you just didn't know. And so I remember a turning point was kind of at one point, I had posted about a book that I, I said, we owned this book, but we felt like it was missing the second half of the story. And it was the red thread, the Graceland, we felt like it doesn't talk about the thread that's still connecting that child. When she goes back with the king and queen, where's the thread that's connecting her to her first family? That still exists. So the story was cut off in the middle. So someone else said, oh, yeah, we feel the same way about this book. Someone just on my regular personal Instagram account. And I said, oh, well, what books do you recommend? And she sent me to her blog page and I read it and that was listed, but it wasn't listed as, well, we like this, but these are the flaws. I thought people aren't writing reviews of books. They're just writing lists of books they own. That doesn't help me. So that's when I. I thought someone's gotta be doing reviews and I could not find them. I could not find reviews. So I thought, if someone needs to do reviews, I guess I'll start doing them. So I started a, an Instagram account. It's called adoption.books. The subheading is just an adoptive parents' review of books with adoption and foster care themes. My sister is a mom by foster care, she's a single woman, and she actually lives in our basement suite. So we have a lot of contact with kids through foster care and her, and her experience as a foster mom. So I just started reviewing books that I owned, books that I borrowed from the library. And it was crazy. I mean, people just started asking me for suggestions and talking to me about it. And it, it really did far exceed my expectations, but people were looking for it. And I thought it was a really beautiful way to not just talk about individual books, but to talk about the complexities of adoption.
0: Right. It's, it's gone from just being book reviews to being, I mean, it's advocacy, it's education, it's, it really brings so many good conversations, I guess is what I would say. I see so many good conversations coming out of what we would think of as just book reviews, but so much more than that. Yeah. Have you um, been surprised?
2: Totally, totally surprised. I mean, in terms of the wide world, like 4,000 followers doesn't really matter. And at the same time, I just, it shocks me that people ask, they don't know who I am. They, and they ask me, what books do we need to be looking at? What do you suggest? What are accounts to follow? I'm like, I can point you to, who I think that you can learn so much from. So it's been really beautiful. I've made some really neat connections with people through that account. That's been really, it's been really beautiful. And it's just, I really felt like this is a unique way that I can a connect to adoption community, which I do love. I do find my adoption community online has been so encouraging to me. And at the same time can be an encouragement to other people, especially when I can uplift the voice of other people. I think when you're coming to adoption, it's sometimes scary to learn from people in the triad. If you're an adoptive parent or a hopeful adoptive parent, it can be learned to, it can be scary to learn from other people in the triad. It's safe to come to an adoptive parent. And at the same time, as an adoptive parent, I can be that safe place to say the hard things that nudges them to go learn from the other voices.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I noticed another thing too on your Instagram account that you, words are really important. And the words we use to describe people and experiences in adoption matter. Y- you know, you have a lot of respect for people. and But you also have sort of this... um. This voice, you know, like that this is, this is why we say it this way, or this is what I think. And I, I love that. Can you talk before we jump into talking about books more? Can you talk a little bit about some of the most commonly used words, titles, phrases that you think need to change in the adoption world? Oh, wow.
2: That is such a big question. I do tend to talk a lot in terms of I am my child's, not my child is mine. I think a lot of parenting comes down to ownership and and I mean when you have biological children you don't have to think about that it just is what it is but I think in adoption there's so much beauty to be found in saying that we're theirs um I know that's hard to use in everyday conversation I do a lot better with it when I'm writing because I can be so much more intentional but I think there's a lot of power in removing ownership it's not about attaining a child for your family it's about I'm going to belong to this child, and I and I and I think that I mean Ashley Mitchell's a awesome awesome follow on Instagram. I really love her and we've connected over Instagram and she says the same thing as a first mom. He's not mine, we're his and and I just love that. so that's one that really immediately when you said that that's one that stuck out to me. I really do shy away from using words like give up. I really do also try and really leave room for. If you're an adoptee and you want to say, I am adopted, I don't think that's negative adoption language. And sometimes I think, you know, agencies come and tell us these are the positive words to use when really if an adoptee chooses that they identify as being adopted their whole lives and not I was adopted, it doesn't have to be a past tense. They feel If they feel like they're living that experience all the time, they get to choose. So I very much am child first language. People get to choose how they identify, whether it's how they identify racially, how they identify in the triad. If you, you choose first mom, some birth moms don't like that. They want to say birth mom. But to me, you get to choose your role. Some people would always say mom by adoption. I say adoptive mom. Like I own that role. I do not think it makes me less of a mom. I don't think it diminishes my role in their lives. I feel zero threat from their connection to their biological moms. But everybody is different.
0: Isn't it interesting? Because even just that biological mom, birth mom, first mom, you know, like those are just three words used to describe my role, one of my roles in the triad. And, you know, we all have different reasons for what we feel comfortable with. The problem is if we use a word that's less familiar to people, we're always having to explain it, right? So I'll usually say I'm a first slash birth mom
2: because people
0: know the word birth mom and they don't necessarily know what I mean when I say first mom. Right. So yeah. yeah, but it's complicated, right? It's it the is. nuances. You know, like I was for my oldest son, I was his first mom, but I was always a a thread in his life as a mom and when we reunified years later, I was the mom, uh, you know, was I the birth mom, was I the first mom, it didn't matter. I was just one of his two moms, really. And so it's uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, What do you think? I, I really, really appreciated something that you said that I feel strongly about that our children in foster care do not have birth parents. They have parents, yeah, right? And I don't know if you said that, but it's so true. We don't call their parents their birth parents. These children are in foster care. So we're, so, and I'm also, I've also been a foster mom. I don't have any foster kids right now, but I never felt like her other family was not I mean, they were really more important than we were, to be honest, and we were standing in the gap for a period of time, you know? So, and then also parents who have not yet adopted, when they call their children's mom, the birth mom, before they've adopted, I definitely have trouble with that.
2: Yeah. And I think that is, I mean, I'm so immersed in this very specific adoption education community that I do forget that it's still commonly called birth moms before they place Mm -hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, definitely in my community, you would, you would always say expectant parent. I just call them their their mom. My kids have two moms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like most of the time, if I'm talking to someone, they know if I'm saying, you know, my kids names are Lucy and Cora. If I say Lucy's mom, they know what I'm talking about. They know I'm not referring to myself in Mm
0: -hmm. first
2: person or how does that work? Third person.
0: (laughs) Third person. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. Yes. Okay. So tell us about how you review books? First of all, what types of books do you review?
2: Okay, so I only review books with adoption and foster care theme. And I do try my best to only review the actual adoption aspect. So for example, sometimes there are other things I don't love about a book, or maybe I'm not keen on the art style. But I do try and focus on the, you know, adoption and foster care themes. And I do kids books, I do fiction, and then I do parenting books, kind of are the main different, I guess, genres. So when I'm reviewing a book, I have three basic criteria. The first criteria I have is, does the book address the complexity of adoption? And by that, I mean that adoption is not one thing. Adoption isn't just beautiful, just a solution, just horrible, just painful. Adoption is all of these things wrapped up. Now, individual stories might you know, lean more towards one or the other. And that's fair. If, if say, for example, an adoptee is sharing their story, they are allowed to just share their experience. But I believe that the most helpful resources are ones that address the loss, the pain, and then the growth and the, the connection and the beauty that can that can come in that in all of that, whatever that means. Secondly, I talk about, is it centered on the adoptee experience? That's usually my first go-to simply because so many resources are centered on the adoptive parent resource. So when I talk about that, I hear AP centric and I want them to be child centric or adoptee centric. The exception to that would be if it is a, if it is, the purpose is for it to be centered on the first parents, then I want it to be first parent centric. But overwhelmingly adoption-themed books have been from the adoptive parent perspective. They're written by adoptive parents, and they are written based on their waiting, their adoption process, their bringing the child home, their joy, their completion. And we're needing to flip that a bit. I think that's overwhelmingly been dominating adoption literature, foster care-themed literature, probably more so adoption. So I think it's really important that that that's changed. Even if an adoptive parent is writing it, I believe it can be centered on the adoptee's experience. There are some really beautiful examples of that in in children's books that are written by adoptive parents, especially. And then thirdly, my last criteria is that I ask, does this facilitate healthy dialogue? So there are books that just state this is the way adoption is, and this is the way you should think about adoption. And there are books that just open up curiosity and open up questions and allow especially in children's books allow the child to start telling their own story and again there are beautiful examples of this books that ask questions and invite curiosity invite all the emotions they're all allowed and those are very different types of books the ones that allow for questions and the ones that don't so that's my third criteria is does this facilitate healthy dialogue and invite conversation? Or does it just shut down all the questions with this is the simple answer?
0: Do you find that authors or publishers send you books hoping for a review that you don't feel you can actually give?
2: Oh, goodness. No, no publishers have ever sent me books. That might be easier. I do get quite a few requests from authors. And at the beginning, when I first started, I thought, oh, yeah, send me your books. And that ended really quickly when I got a book that I disagreed with so utterly and completely that I sat on it for a few months before finally emailing the author and saying I I truly can't review your book because we didn't talk about potential that this would happen before you sent it to me, and I wrote an email saying this is what I would have, how I would have reviewed it if I would have just purchased it myself, and I put it in the mail before I even sent the email so it would just be going back to her. Um, since then, I'm very clear that if an author wishes to send me a book, I do this um it's my side passion project i don't make anything off of it i am under no obligation to rush to read this also i'm under no obligation to review it and if i do review it i will review it it's not a promotion although by default i will end up promoting stuff i like of course but i ultimately think that it's most fair for buyers to know what they're getting before they purchase it instead of buying something that they honestly some books they feel like they can't even donate they think they have to burn it because they just think it's such a Harmful narrative of adoption.
0: Can you talk about what books you just feel every adoptive parent should read that are just, or foster parent, or, you know, books that are helpful to us and maybe don't make us comfortable, like you said, but really help us learn?
2: In terms of as a parent, I think if you want some parenting resources, I think number one, every parent needs to read The Primal Wound, by Nancy Barrier. She is an adoptive parent and the book also includes a lot of, I guess, I don't, content uh, quotes from adopted adults. And it really just talks about that irreplaceable bond that, uh, that is broken when a mother is separated from her child. It's so hard to read and it's so necessary. If I ran an adoption agency, I would, I would be required reading before anybody adopted.
0: And that book's been out for a long time. It's, it's an older book
2: it is yeah I haven't read anything else of hers but by far it's one of the books I've heard recommended most by adopted adults um, as something that they found a lot of healing in and also they wish adoptive parents would read on, on the adoptive parent front as well I, I always recommend to people to read well anything by Karen Purvis but especially I really do like connected child I think it's an easy read it's not so clinical that it's hard to get through but it just a really good basis, honestly, for any parent on the entire planet. You know, this is, these are going to be helpful things. These are going to be har- har- harmful things. I love it. I think everybody should read it every couple of years just to give themselves a good refresher on, you know, I want a parent with connection. I don't want to be alienating my child, you know, because I would rather they operate this way.
0: Well, I would agree with that recommendation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
2: so powerful. And that was probably one of the first books I read. As far as children's books, if families are uh, have adopted through domestic infant adoption, I highly recommend a book called Growing Grace that's written by a first mom, um, and it basically just kind of details a young mom's experience of finding out she was pregnant, uh, choosing adoption, and then choosing a family. It's really beautiful.
0: So the first one is Growing Grace, right?
2: Yep. So for families who have adopted through foster care or who are hoping to foster. Two great children's books are called Families Change and Kids Need to Be Safe. They just talk about, about why families might need to change and why why kids do need to be safe and why that might result in some changes. They're, they're two fantastic books. They're actually really beautiful. I like the art in them as well. And they're honestly good for any family to just talk about that kids don't always get to live with their biological family. I love those two. If you are a family that has adopted internationally, my favorite book is star of the week and it is actually based on a real life family and i've connected a little bit with the the daughter that the book is loosely written about online and the parents wrote the book about their daughter but it's very centered on her and so she's from china but it's an amazing book for honestly kids who are adopted from any country because it just talks about what it's like to be adopted and the whole book is isn't it's not just factual it's not like a documentary type kids book if you know what I mean it's a story about a child who's the star of the week and she's getting ready to talk about herself at kindergarten and so it's super relatable for every kid and it's just a fun story and it just talks so well about the complexities of adoption all her joys about adoption but then also the fact that sometimes she doesn't want to talk about it it's 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 a gold that book is gold I love it and then moving on I love I love reading memoirs and so basically any adoptee memoir that I can get my hands on, I really, I really do appreciate. And, and again, I don't, in some ways, I don't need to review it as much. That's their experience. And so, um, basically I'm just happy to share them with the world. And if you head to my Instagram account, I have some highlights up at the top. There's children's books, memoirs, parenting books, and there's a, quite a few um, memoirs under there that I, that I suggest, but a few of them would be, um, they made it into a movie a few years ago called called lion and it's about an Indian adoptee. That was a beautiful book. I also really, really appreciate Anne Heffron. She wrote her memoirs a few years ago and I read those um, last summer and I, that one probably more than anything, maybe because I've connected a little bit with Anne online, but I really felt this sense of just honor that I got to sit in her story. And so I do highly recommend for parents to dig into those. And I, and this is one thing I say to people all the time if you want to make room for this, you're going to have to cut out other things. It's not a matter of just adding adoption education into your life, but if you truly want to immerse yourself in learning from first mums, from adoptees, and 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 for how to parent your adoptees differently from other parents, you're going to have to say, I'm adding this to my podcast lineup and I'm going to take a few things out. And that's okay. It's okay to say, We, I mean, we all have to make choices. We can't just keep adding, adding, adding. It doesn't work. And in some ways, this season of life, this social distancing, this shelter in place, this worldwide pandemic is showing us that we do need to slow down. We can't do everything. And that's okay. I do tell people, you, you know, you got to cut out a few of those other books or podcasts. If you want to learn from people of color, you're going to have to looking for those books on the bookshelf instead of just trying to add them in to what you're already, you know, taking in.
0: That's a really good point. Can you share the titles of those memoirs you were just referring to?
2: So two adoptee written memoirs that I really enjoy are and You Don't Look It by Anne Hefron. Um One is the experience of an international adoptee and one is the experience of a domestic adoptee. And You Don't Look Adopted in particular, I really just felt very honored to be able to hear her experience and kind of sit in that space where I felt she was so open,
0: and those are both memoirs that she's written about her own experience as an adoptee. Is that correct?
2: Exactly, both of those are experience.
0: Okay, great. All right, what other kinds of books do you recommend?
2: I really the children's and friends. It is applicable for every single family that has adopted because it really is a series of questions. It has little critters and said so by a first mom and an adult adoptee who wanted a book that really invited a child to discover and tell their own story again, instead of giving pat answers to the complexity of adoption. I also, I, re- I recommend this for anybody, even, you know, who has no connection to adoption because I think it's important to understand about the adoption system in North America. But if you are adopting domestically in particular, The Girls That Went Away, is a must-read. It is an adult adoptee while she is looking for her birth mom. Basically makes it her mission to interview moms who who placed their children during that time and compiles them in this really beautiful book. I mean, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, but it talks about where domestic infant adoption comes from in America. And Canada has a very similar history, so I feel like it's applicable to Canadians as well. But it really just is so important to know that that's where we're coming from and those are the things in some ways that we're trying to change.
0: And what era does that cover? What time period were those moms... um sent away basically
2: the girl book is called the girls who went away and the subtitle is the history of women who but it really is kind of in between world war 2 and the 70s because there is a marked difference after world war 2 in how clergy and social workers started approaching unwed mothers
0: Okay. All right. That sounds like it's actually a book I've known about for a long time and have not read because I wasn't sure I could handle it emotionally, but maybe, maybe I will do that.
2: That's fair. That is definitely a fair response. And I think you as adoptive parents, again, I think if you are going to enter into that relationship, it's really important to know from a, as an adoptive parent, where this comes from. And why we have to be so, so careful of um, um, coercion and and really making a choice because that was the only choice.
0: Absolutely. I do feel very, very strongly about that I think and I, I'm concerned about coercion even now very much so and probably even more in the faith community I think we have to be very very careful
2: absolutely. what other
0: books do you recommend what other types of books yes
2: absolutely I, I... And look, that's I, do. I not that I have to force myself to read an educate. Book, but it's not my favorite. I just can't wait to read this
1: nonfiction.
2: I so much. <laughs> but, but I really mm-hmm. do love reading books that are just fiction that get it right. And there's some good job. It's called Far mm-hmm. From the Tree, a fiction. I read it probably last year. It's by Lynn, I think her name's Robin Bendy. And she is not a member of the triad at all, but she did a great job kind of capturing the complexity of the siblings who grew up not knowing each other and then found each other and it's fiction it's it's just this fascinating story and at the same time it is believable it is it she, she does a great job of talking about race and loss and oh it's it, it's great so I do love finding a great piece of fiction that just nails it really well
0: Are there other uh, fictional books that you would recommend?
2: Yeah, again, I, I really liked a book called The Cactus by Sarah Hayward. It, again, is written by someone not part of the triad, but she really grasps the complexity of this adult finding out. She's a late discovery adoptee, and she finds out parts of her story after her mom has passed, and she's in the middle of a crisis pregnancy herself. And I think the author, again, just somehow grasps the fact that it's so complicated and there isn't one right way to feel, and it does get tied up in a pretty ball cool at the end. And I think that's really, mm-hmm. I love Bibles Everywhere by Celeste. And she, again, is not a member of the triad. She is um, a Korean woman, however, and so she writes a little bit from that perspective, I think. And it, that book tackles uh, topics of surrogacy, adoption, um, unwed pregnancy, all kinds of things. It's, it is shocking. As you read through, it's, it just keeps building. And I've heard a lot of positive comments on that. So I like that one. Um, but fiction, again, can be a little hard because it, I think we've got it wrong so often. And I agree with you. In the faith community, we have tried to kind of gloss things over so with kind of pat scripture that just kind of says, oh, and then this magically got solved because of this unideal situation. But then the child has this perfect home and then the mom can go on with her life. And and so I do think that with fiction, you know, we ne- it needs to get into the nitty gritty and tackle the joy and the pain well in order for it to be good. And I think it's been very harmful in the past um, in kind of perpetuating this view of society that adoption is magical and, you know, You know, even perpetuating beliefs about first families. Um, I think fiction can be can be a tough one.
0: Have you reviewed um, the language of flowers? I have not. Oh, my goodness. That is a very, very good book. Fiction? It is fiction, yes. But I believe the author has been a foster mom. In fact, I'm reasonably certain. Well, thank you for recommending so many great books and uh, giving us a lot to think about. So tell us quickly where people can find you.
2: So I spend most of my time over on Instagram. Uh, my personal account is at Linea.gram, and my uh, review account is at adoption.books. I also have a website that I play around with once in a while when I'm feeling energetic and I try and post stuff up on there um, and book reviews and links and that kind of thing. And that's leneagraham.com.
0: Great. Well, we will have links to all of those things in the show notes and links to the books that you've recommended so that people can easily find them. So thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It was so awesome to talk to
1: you.
0: Wonderful to talk to you too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.
1: What a great conversation. Linnea and I had connected on Instagram a little bit already, but I had no idea kind of the depth of her story. So that was really fun to connect with. And then also as we were talking about before the interview, because we're pretty much only buying books these days, unless you get them some form electronically from your library or Kindle or whatever. I appreciate knowing that we can rely on Linnea and her uh, reviews to know which books are actually worth buying.
0: Yeah, she does a great job on her Instagram account. I'll mention it again, adoption.books. That will also be in our show notes. But she does a great job reviewing all kinds of books related to adoption, as, as we talked about, but she has children's books and books for parents and books for adults and fiction and memoir, really a very wide range of books just simply related to adoption and foster care. In fact, I, I picked up one of them and read them after she recommended it. And I know that we talked about a lot of different books. I want you to just know that we have all of them listed in the show notes. You do not need to remember them as you're listening. And they're all there for you as well as where to find Linnea. And you can find all of that in the show notes
1: The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.